Are you listening? Damn. And welcome back once again to the Endurance Hour Podcast, episode 369. Back alongside the Kona coach, Wendy Mater. I'm Dave Erickson. So glad to have you this week. Coming up on this program, we're going to talk about the benefits of vertical kicking and swim fins. Uh, what do you eat during an Ironman race? That's always an interesting one. Uh, we've got a great little video that you can check out inside the T2 Endurance Group on Facebook about transitions. And then, uh, have you done something new on race day that you regretted? And have you done something new on race day that worked out for you? Plus, I'll tell you why I didn't uh, attend my Olympic distance triathlon last weekend. Uh, and before we kick off with all that, if you are interested in getting your own cold plunge ice bath tub you can use dave 150 at checkout at the coldplunge.com and save 150 bucks off your cold plunge if you know want to know what these look like and my experience for the first two weeks check out the endurance hours youtube channel i'm having a blast with them and i've been doing some diaries the last uh few weeks in fact i have a video coming up this weekend recapping my first two weeks in my cold plunge dave 150 at checkout and you can save 150 bucks off your cold plunge and Wendy, that uh, Winhoff guy, I'm starting to watch some mm-hmm. of his things because uh-huh. he's very educational about the benefits of cold water, period. Not just cold plunges like ice baths, but cold water overall. And that's a guy's name that you mentioned to me uh, recently. And I thought, let me look into this guy. He's pretty smart. Yeah, the Iceman. The Iceman. Yeah, he has like a YouTube channel, and he's been posting YouTubes for 12 years. Mm-hmm. I always like to see what someone's oldest video is. And yeah. He's been doing a good job with that. Yeah. Our first question of the day here is the benefits of vertical kicking and swim fins from Sarah. She writes here, I tried some vertical kicking to work on leg strength and also looking for fins to help me work on my kick and leg strength. I saw some short and longer fins. Any thoughts from Wendy? Uh, Thanks for the question. Uh, First, I want to say that what I would recommend for vertical kicking is not necessarily to work on leg strength. I like to recommend that to work on an athlete's body alignment in the water. So when you're vertical kicking, you want to be in a deep pool where you can't touch the bottom. You want to try to raise your arms out of the water, you know, maybe start with hands below the water. And as you get more advanced and able to vertical kick more and work on more body alignment, you're able to um, slightly increase your arms as a swimmer. And with the swimmers I coach, I like them to go in the streamlined position when they're vertical kicking because it really works your core as well as your hips, quads, and ankles. So not only um, do I recommend it for body alignment, um, again, you want to keep your shoulders above your hips, above your knees, above your ankles, but it's really good for ankle flexibility. So for multi-sport athletes who come from more of a running background where they're just our dominant runners, they have very inflexible ankles and those inflexible ankles will create them not to have good body position in the water. They might have lower body drag and they struggle with kicking and the kick is used mainly to help, help with proper body balance. So when you do vertical kicking, you're able to work on that ankle flexibility and then, and then you're going to feel a burn in your legs. But again, I wouldn't per se define that as, as leg strengthening. I would define leg strengthening more like in the weight room or cycling and running. And then with regards to fins, same idea, fins help you with that ankle flexibility. So I always recommend fins for that reason. I personally do use fins so I can use my legs more because normally I don't kick 
but when I'm wearing fins, it helps loosen up my legs and it helps me just kind of stretch them out a little bit more than compared to me just swimming. And I would always recommend the shorter fins. They're also called zoomers. And I buy them, I buy everything on Swim Outlet. We actually have a link to Swim Outlet in our newsletter that you can go to and check out. The, the longer fins tend to um, mainly create they could create a little imbalance, but I think that they hurt my ankles and the youth, again, the youth swimmers that I coach, they hurt their ankles as well because they're just long and they're just flimsy and they're just not the best for what you, the purpose of using them for. Where's your hinge point? Would you say, I mean, we're talking about ankle flexibility and, and helping there, but isn't it more you're kicking at the hip and you don't want to bend your knee too much? Yeah. So when you kick, you want to feel it in your quads and hip flexors. And when you're, when you're pushing down, your foot's coming up. When you push your foot down, you're, you're engaging the hamstring to bring that upper part of your leg. And you do have a slight kick. I have a great video again on the insurance star YouTube channel of me kicking and explaining the anatomy of the freestyle kick for you to check out as well. So what about when you're wearing your wetsuit, your full wetsuit in a race, how much of your effort, maybe if you throw out a percentage wise that you want to put towards your, your kicking, because obviously the wetsuit is creating that buoyancy where your legs would normally be helping you with balance, but you don't really need as much is effort toward the kick important. And how much percentage of effort would you put toward a kick in a wetsuit swim? I tell athletes don't kick if they're wearing a wetsuit. Hmm because the, the your legs are going to be buoyant so the wetsuit's going to bring your legs on top of the water and there's no reason to kick it's just going to use a lot of energy and most triathletes who don't have swimming background are, are going to have an inefficient kick and the kick usually it's a large muscle it's going to increase your heart rate increase your breathing rate and i think it's just an excess of um use of energy and it's inefficient especially in a wetsuit what about uh, the effort to keep your legs close together versus having that split leg? Uh, so if you're not kicking, uh -huh. are you trying just to keep your ankles as close together as possible? Are you focused on don't let your legs be lazy and, you know, split? Yeah, I mean, now that, you know, again, I got I to gotta think about it. Mm -hmm. I normally don't even think about my legs. Like, I'm not thinking, keep my legs together, keep my ankles together. So I probably unconsciously, it's natural for me, I probably do just a little, 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 very little mm -hmm. um, motion of my quads and hip flexors to keep my legs together. Mm -hmm. um, I know when I swim in the ocean, I don't move my legs at all. Cause I've done an experiment <laughs> with myself swimming in the ocean cause you're more buoyant in salt water. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I just don't use my legs at all. I did. They just, their corpses legs, they just float. Is there something else you're thinking mentally? Like I'm going to imagine myself swimming downhill. So you're trying to stay, keep your shoulders above water and, and the legs are naturally sticking up. I'm, I'm just wondering about, uh, I've had cramps in the past in my calves and I don't know if it was a, a tight wetsuit or maybe I was kicking unnecessarily and that caused uh, the cramping in my calves. That could, an improper kick can cause cramping in your feet and calves, especially if your feet are flexed. Mm -hmm. So next time you're thinking about your kick in a wetsuit, you know, you don't, you don't have to force a toe point cause that could also cause a, a foot cramp, mm -hmm. but they should just be relaxed 
if you get calf cramps in the water, it could just be because you have a slight flex of your toe mm. and that could cause the calf cramp. Hmm. All right. Let's relate this back to swimming workouts, uh-huh. pool buoy, uh, some sort of core buoyancy shorts to wear. You, you still have kick sets. What's the value of a kick set if, if you are a wetsuit swimmer in a, in a race and you're not going to kick? Um, I only prescribe kicking for myself and athletes I coach, again, just to loosen up their legs and get some blood flowing for recovery. Um, all types of kicks, breaststroke kick, dolphin kick, flutter kick, and a dolphin kick, especially with the fins on, because you're going to get a little bit of core um, strength as well. I don't think kick sets are necessary unless an athlete is very new to swimming. They will, I will have them do kick sets to work on balance and to work on what it feels like to get their legs on top of the water. Because a lot of, a lot of swimmers I've seen when I do those swim video for analysis is that we've uploaded on the endurance hour YouTube channel. Um, athletes who, who just, they just don't know how to kick at all and they don't understand sometimes what it feels like to have their legs on the surface of the water even with a pull buoy i've seen athletes wear a pull buoy and their legs still sink Hmm. so i will have them get a kickboard a snorkel i'll have them have their arms stretched out with their only their hands on the kickboard and then the snorkel on so they're keeping their chin tucked and their head down and they're just working on that kick so they feel what it feels like to have their legs on top of the water for body balance. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper here, coach. Okay. So if someone were to practice their kicking and they're a decent kicker and they use kick in the swim, would that be to their advantage? Like if I, someone, if I go against a swimmer who's going to be kicking in that race and I'm not going to kick at all, but we're both wearing wetsuits, that person's probably going to go a little bit faster, maybe 20% faster, 30% faster. Yes or no? If if they're using their kick for propulsion and their yeah. kick is propelling that propelling them that much more, and if they're willing, I mean, you to look at you look at you look at like out. real, yeah, you look at you look at swimmers. So, as a swimmer myself, age group swimmer, kindergarten through college, my stroke was different then than it is now as a triathlete. You know, as mm-hmm. a swimmer, I used to kick. We used to do kick sets. Our style, my freestyle used my legs a little bit for propulsion. Now I'm all upper body to propel myself through the open water swimming, specifically for open water swimming. I'm a little bit shorter. I'm a little bit choppier and, and I have very strong lap muscles, shoulders, triceps, swimming specific muscles. Cause that's how I've trained my body to get to that point through a lot of pulling sets, a lot of pulling with paddles to get stronger. Now, if you took someone like an Olympic uh, even just a college swimmer turn triathlete in the initial phases, they're probably going to kick a lot in their open water swims. And then as they get more into the sport and learn, they don't want to use their, I don't want that, you know, they're going to learn. They don't want to use their legs that much because they're expending a lot more energy with their legs and their legs are more fatigued for the bike and the run. They're going to change their style of swimming. I don't even know if I answered your question, but that's where I'm going with it. No, you know, the things you're bringing up is that, you know, there's a difference between swimmers kicking and triathletes kicking. And we as triathletes, multi-sport athletes, we're in the, the, the business of endurance. And it's not these explosive 200 meter or 500 meter uh, events. We are looking at, you know, we're out right. in the water for 25, 45 or an hour and a half at a, minutes at a time. So 
you know, if we can save that energy because we are in it for the long, long haul, the longer day, then we're all, we're also keeping our head. I got a bike and a run to do later. Right. Yeah. Definitely different. Great question from Sarah. Peter writes, what do you eat during the Ironman? Uh, during my first two fulls, my first full in two weeks, he says, I'm trying to decide what I should bring on the bike with me. I've heard that solid foods on the bike and gels on the run. Is that the type of breakdown? Solids on the bike and gels on the run. Go ahead. All right, Peter. Great question. And, you know, when I first read this, this was from an actual group, uh, Facebook group that I'm in. I'm like, you have an Ironman in two weeks and you don't know your nutrition plan yet. So I just want to start out by saying you as an athlete, anyone out there training, no matter what the distance is, you should dial in your nutrition plan starting at least eight weeks out. You know, don't wait, especially for an Ironman. Don't wait two weeks before your race to start asking questions about nutrition. So it's it, again, it's all relative to the person. You know, and, and I'm going to say this when I did my first Ironman, I'm also going to tell my little story. When I did my first Ironman in 1997, I didn't have a nutrition plan. I ate and drank during training, but I didn't go to the race with a laid out plan. And I asked my good friend, Laura, I go, what do you eat on the bike? What do you put in special needs bags? Mm -hmm. So I did exactly what she did. And I tried everything new on race day. It happened to work for me, but I don't recommend it. And so over the years, I've done bars on the bike. I used to be a power bar specific sponsored athlete. I liked power bars. And then I did just gels, um, goos back then, and then moved to power gels and Gatorade on the run. And now I've been in the sport for 30 years. I've switched my nutrition plan more to like real food. I eat, I eat a certain brand of cookies. They're, I call them power bars in disguise. I don't do gels. Um, on the run, I actually do pretzels, Gatorade, and water, and that works for me. And then on the bike, I do Gatorade water, and I do these um, Larry and Lenny cookies. Something I've tried in training, it works for me, I like it, I do it race day. So we have some nutrition guides, videos that Dave put together on the Endurance Hour um, YouTube channel for sprint, Olympic, half and full. They're just descriptions that Dr. Stacy Sims has laid out, and those are worth checking out to help you out. Now, going back to you saying that you want to have your plan maybe dialed in, or at least better start talking about it eight weeks before your full distance Ironman. Is that just to get it on paper? Is that to start experimenting and practicing with it uh, during the train so it's not a surprise? Why, why eight weeks versus two weeks if it's just knowing the information? Um, you want to you want to make sure you practice it in training so you know how you tolerate it. Is it going to give you any um, GI distress, gut distress? Is it going to be enough energy? Um, again, we have these guidelines out there. You know, eat between 60 and 90 grams of carbohydrate. Drink anywhere between 10 ounces and 40 ounces of water. I mean, there's big ranges of recommendations, and so it's important for each athlete to find. Number one, what they like to eat. You want, you don't want to like just eat bars and gels because that's what most people do. If you don't like them, you're not going to eat them. So you want to find something you like and you want to test it out on your, on your gut at Ironman specific intensity, um, Ironman specific environment, terrain, weather. So you know how you handle it and you make sure you have it on hand race day. 
We're going to talk about things that people have tried on race day that have worked and not worked. Uh, back to the food, what have you uh, had success with that you still have success with now? Or maybe it worked before, but not so much now. And what are some of the varieties or examples of things that you've tried over the years? So I pretty much have a gut, I say a gut of steel, <laughs> an iron gut, and I can pretty much tolerate most things. You know, I am a plant-based athlete now, so I don't do, I don't do any dairy, um, or I won't have any bars or gels or any, any energy products with dairy in it. But for the most part, I've always pretty much been successful on what I've eaten, except, um, chocolate or berry gel, um, gels or, or goos the, those flavors always make me cramp or just give me an upset stomach for some reason because I've tried them multiple times. I've grabbed a gel and I'm like, eh, I don't really like this flavor, but I'm going to do it anyways because I need something. And then immediately, you know, I get a cramp or just some stomach, sour stomach. So those have not worked well for me. And I know that. So I, I, I stay away from them for sure. Hmm. Um, but for the most part, nutrition wise, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good with trying things out and it usually works for me. I remember in the early days, I've been doing it for 24 years. I'm trying to, I was, I kind of had to remind myself that recently, but I would put the, I'd break the power bars off and stick them to your top tube. But mm -hmm. if it's a cold day or a hot day, can you kind of imagine a hard power bar versus a, a melty uh -huh. stringy one? It's, that's not a good, good suggestion. I remember doing those and, and I would probably, I would overeat in the early days cause I didn't do Ironmans until 2000. Eight, I think it was. So I was, you know, if anything, it was just an Olympic, maybe a few halves, non-branded, you know, half Ironman races. And so I was like, I don't need. I really, looking back, I didn't need that much nutrition on the bike, and I didn't fuel enough uh, the morning of. So those were my big mistakes early on. And then maybe taking in Coke um, too early in the run, where you kind of need to do keep on doing that, otherwise you're going to crash, and then. You, you just, it's kind of weird. If you keep on drinking Coke too much, it just doesn't taste as good. Um, the more you drink it, I think it's just, it's, it's uh, it stings or it's too sugary. Mm -hmm. on the run. Have you done that before where like once you start Coke or do you have a, a mile marker in a half or a full where like, all right, now I'm going to start going for these high sugary, high energy, quick burning fuels. Yeah. So let me jump in there and also say like back in the day, I used to overeat as well. I used to eat too many calories um, because that's, you know, I was so, fo you know, you'd hear about the bonking, you'd hear about the crashing. So I overcompensate. And thankfully my gut was okay with eating too much than what's recommended. Um, Coke, I started drinking in 20, I think it was a 2011. I was on my way to Henderson, Nevada, and I was reading Christmas, Chris McCormick's book. And he had said when he's starting to fall apart on the marathon or the half marathon of a 70.3, 140.6 that he relies on Coke. So I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. So in the 70.3 World Championships, when it was held in Henderson, Nevada, I tried Coke for the first time during that run. And I was like, whoa, this stuff is amazing. And so I'm not a Coke drinker, anything like that. So I do use it in the 70.3, 140.6. And I usually use it in the second half of both those distances. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's one of those like, ah, I don't want to start doing it yet. But if you want that quick little burst, something to get you to the next mile marker or next to aid station. Yeah. Yeah. But you've always talked about being intuitive. If, if whatever your body says at once, go for it. If it's pretzels, if it's, 
candy, if it's whatever, a, a banana, go with what your body says because it's saying, this is what I crave. I need this yeah, right now. Absolutely. And I also want to say is, you know, again, the common theme, don't try anything new race day except, mm. and I use, I say this because I've tried a lot of nutrition new on race day because if you train a lot, sometimes you get kind of sick of the nutrition you've been training with. So you get to race day and you're like, oh my God, that's the last thing I want to put in my body right now because I've, I've trained with it too much. Yeah. And so I've, I've tossed out my planned nutrition gels and goos and bars and I've just taken whatever's offered on the aid stations and it's worked for me. So sometimes if you go off track of what you have planned from a nutrition hydration perspective, you need nutrition and hydration. So that doesn't mean you just stop eating and drinking. It just means that you just have to try plan B, plan C, plan X, Y, and Z and keep yourself fueled as best you can. So that, that part of it was based on a, a question that was in the uh, T2 endurance group on Facebook. We've got 700 and so members, 706 members. And if you want to join, we keep it closed. So you have to answer a few questions to get into the group. We want to make people there, there who are there for a reason. And we don't want spammers. We don't want uh, just people just stopping by. We want people who have can provide value and, and feedback. And that was one of the questions is, what have you tried new on race day that worked and what didn't work? And one thing you said, Wendy, in, in the initial posting is that you borrowed race wheels on race day and it did not work because you got a flat tire, didn't know how to change it because of the rims. And that was a, a big time suck for you. It, it killed your time. Yeah. So I mentioned that one. And also this, this is actually early. This is probably my first year, maybe my second year of racing. I used someone's disc wheel in a Olympic distance triathlon. So I think it was my second year racing back in the nineties and I got a flat tire and I've never had a flat tire. It was my second year racing, second year as a triathlete. I didn't have any equipment to change it. It was a disc wheel. How do you change a disc wheel? I have no yeah. idea back yeah. then. And I rode, I rode the race. I finished the race on this guy's, you know, disc wheel. I probably ruined it. And then, um, back in 2002, I, I borrowed race wheels that had a deeper rim that I was used to. I got a flat at about mile 70, never had changed those rims had the equipment, had the CO2, but I only had one tire lever. So I struggled with getting the tire off that deep dish rim. And so it took me 20 to 25 minutes to change it. And I did, I did change it myself, but my watch, my competition, you know, fly by me on the bike. Yeah. And so I've always been like, just, you know what, use your training wheels, don't borrow wheels. And if you do borrow wheels, make sure you've changed them and you, you have the right equipment with you to change the flat race day. And my story that I've told years, uh, told a few years ago is that when I did uh, the full distance in, in Arizona that I got a flat and I had spare tubes. Problem was I changed out race tires, race, race wheels, and I had a deeper dish and the stems didn't stick out and I was uh -huh. screwed. I was stuck on the side of the road for 15 minutes and uh, it was really frustrating. And then I, I overworked to catch back up, you know, trying to catch back up to those 15 minutes I lost. Yeah. And I, and I paid for it. But yeah, I changed. I had I had all the equipment ready for, for changing a flat tire, which I had, but the wheel set was the wrong wheel set and the stem wasn't long enough. So go longer stem just in yeah. case. Maybe someone's going to give you a spare wheel. Let's say you get a flat tire and maybe your wheel's broken. I don't know. And someone gives you a new wheel and it's a deep dish. Make sure you have stems that will fit almost anything 
Yeah, I agree. That'll save you. Uh, uh, Ezra replied in this uh, comment on our on our Facebook group. He says, uh, I tried a new Roka Tri-Kit to wear in my first Ironman. It was an epic fail. I had two uh, vertical cuts on both sides of ribs where it rubbed for 16 hours. I also bought some brand new shoes for the same race for same race day after a previous pair were stolen a day earlier. So I bought the same size and brand and wore them on my Ironman. The shoes work perfectly. Note to self, never do either again if possible. Kind of hard to avoid. Well, I don't know. A wetsuit. Let's talk about wetsuits that you are going to use on your race day. Half Ironman or full Ironman. You're not, not necessarily always going to you know, pre-wear them, but you can, pre, you can test them out in the water. But what's your thoughts on that of not wearing your, a wetsuit for the first time in a, in a longer distance race. I always recommend athletes if they've never worn a wetsuit before and they plan to on race day that they should test it out in the pool or whatever wherever they can access a body water and Mm -hmm. put it on. So they know how to put it on and then they know how to take it off just for practice, just for practice, putting it on, taking it on and taking it off. Cause it could be, it's usually a struggle your first few times Mm -hmm. and then you kind of get the hang of it. Again, both ways, putting it on and getting the hang of t- taking it off. Yeah, I, I, that's what I, I always do that too. You know, I go to the Y and you have, you have to rinse off your wetsuit afterwards because the chlorine, I always do that just to, you know, make sure it's cleansed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I always test mine out in the pool and I've done that a couple of times and put it on the YouTube channel uh, just to see how it fits, where the, where the tight points might be or if there's some extra loose points, then mm-hmm. I know ahead of time. And then also the zipper. Is it going to be top down or bottom up? And can I put it on right. by myself if, if mm-hmm. necessary? I've never been able to put a, a wetsuit on by myself just because mm-hmm. of they've been a little too tight or just because, you know, a zipper goes top down. That's nearly impossible to, to get it together. Right. So that was inside the T2 Endurance Group on Facebook. Uh, next one up, and this has to do with transitions. This topic about transitions from Brian. He says, I got a, a race coming up. On the weekend, my second try ever, an Olympic. Now, during my first one, which was a sprint, my T2, T1 time, so his swim to bike time, was uh, almost three minutes, one of his top 10 worst. He's confident that a full minute of that was screwing around with my race bib, and since I now have a race belt, good for you, I'm hoping to be a lot better. Nevertheless, I've practiced a few times, and he put down a video showing him coming from like a swim dock, at a small lake or something into his uh, back of his car and doing a transition. And he did it in under a minute. So he's getting it down. Although I don't see in that video, if he was wearing a wetsuit, did he take the wetsuit off, but he was practicing uh, his T one. Any tips, uh, Wendy on having a smoother and faster swim to bike run. Just take, take, take away the fact that you might have a long running transition. How do you make it better and faster once you're in transition? Um, you race a lot. So I've never practiced transition. I think the first three years that I raced or more, I've never really done transitions other than the races that I was entered. Mm-hmm. When you're in a race setting, you're going to be a different mindset. You're going to be quicker. You're going to be able to practice and learn from a race type environment than you will when you just practice on your own. So you know, assuming, assuming it's like a quick, you know, you get out of the water, you enter transition. So the time that takes you to run is not a factor. I think what I like to do again, because I've raced a lot is mentally as I'm going from the swim to the bike, this is going on in my mind. 
I have my glasses and my helmet. So as soon as I get to my bike, I put on my glasses, I put on my helmet, I strap it, and then I slip my shoes on, grab my bike, and I go. And then when I'm coming in from my bike, entering T2, getting ready for the run, I run my bike to my rack. More often than not, I'll be wearing my cycling shoes. Sometimes if there's a long run, I'll take them off and hold on to them. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, sometimes they're clipped onto my shoes, my pedals on in T2. Rack my bike, unstrap, helmet off, um, socks. Sometimes I put the socks on, on before the run. Sometimes I put them on before the bike. Shoes, and then I grab my visor and my racing belt, and I put that on as I'm running out of transition. Real so I think it's pretty simple. I think it's pretty simple because I've been doing it a lot, so it's very you know planned out, and it's pretty simple. His was pretty quick. You know, he kind of did the same thing. He wasn't wearing a wetsuit in the video that he posted. That's just going to add more time. And again, I, th- you know, I just don't think there's a way to be faster getting in and out of your wetsuit unless you're like me and I wear a men's large. So it just slips off my body easier. But for the most part, you could practice putting on your wetsuit on and off all day long. But when you get to the race, it may, if it may hook onto your watch. So that's going to take some time. You may just struggle with getting it unzipped or getting it off your arms if you're wearing a long sleeve one. So it's just something that you just have to, you know, get experience doing. I like that he he tried to do this. It's, it's obviously it's not uh, uh, game time situations where he's running all wet out of transition. I still like the fact that he did this and he's showing that, hey, I did it in 47 seconds. I rolled my socks up, put my helmet on, sunglasses on, and that's how it worked out for him. Yeah. In real life, though, I mean, the heart's racing. You just got I mean, he didn't really come out of the water after, you know, 30 minutes of hard swimming. Nothing to get. Brian, great job. I don't mean to rip on your your, your transition one video. Uh, but realistic, I think what you said is do more small races. Do more yeah. sprints to get used to it. And then yeah. you'll start to streamline your process because you're going to have a, a towel on the ground maybe to dry off your wet feet. Uh, are your, is your helmet going to be on the ground? Is it going to be on the bike's uh, aero bars? Are you going to use it on the strap, let it hang? Do you put your – I don't put my sunglasses on uh, in right away. I, I used to, but sometimes they get foggy. They have my condensation from the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just put them in my, on my bib, on my kit, and mm-hmm. then I'll get going, and then I'll put them on because I want to see. I want to see clearly. I don't want anything in my way, whether it's water droplets or anything like that. I want to see what's going on. Uh, and then you have decisions on, do I have my bikes, uh, my shoes clipped on the bike? Do I run out? I mean, there's all these different things. Shoes, socks, no socks. Yeah, do you want to do a little nutrition? You know, throw down some nutrition right before you go. A lot of right. things to consider. But the more you do it in real-time situations, you realize, oh, I didn't need that part. Or I can stream. It's like your, like your morning routine. What can I cut out to make this faster? I yep. think that uh, the more you do it, the better. And doing races is what's realistic. Yeah. Yep. And you should check out my triathlon then and now video. Cause I talk about what I used to do 30 years ago mm-hmm. relative to what I do now and how much faster I've gotten. Yeah. I was going to just pop that up. But, uh, yeah, you're, there's so many great videos. If you use the search little eyeglass search option within, uh, our YouTube channel, let's see, I'm gonna put triathlon. You said then and now. Yeah. I may have actually that been the right words. It is. <laughs> <laughs> from a year ago, uh, triathlon then and now with coach Wendy Mater. If you type in Wendy Mater, most likely you'll find everything that we have on the YouTube channel, but there's so many, you know, 
it's a just it's a 25 minute video but if you take the time you'll be able to see where she's started where she's been and how she's transitioned transitioned to be a faster transition racer it is funny yeah it's it's fun it's entertaining too have you what are some funny things that you've seen in transition where people have like Oh my goodness. You can obviously th- see this is a first timer or they're just overthinking T1 or T2. You know, so I volunteered at a women's race a couple, about a month ago. And then I personally did a beginner race two weeks ago. And really, I, I think with all the information out there, especially online, athletes are pretty prepared. I haven't seen anything unusual you know, maybe five or 10 years ago, I still saw athletes trying to change and nudity in their transition area because hmm. they didn't know hmm. that they weren't supposed to take their clothes off and they still did. Or athletes wear their wetsuit and they don't wear anything underneath their wetsuit. So that still happens. And I'm sure it does still happen. I just haven't seen it, but it, it, it used to happen. So I think everyone, you know, again, going back to these two recent beginner races, everyone seemed pretty pretty in tune with, with how to transition and what they needed to do. So I can't, nothing comes to mind. How about you? Well, I remember a few years ago where someone was, uh, I think they just had a huge transition area where the towel was laid out all the way beach uh-huh. towel, just like too much. And, and, and they were overthinking it and, um, too much things laid out on the ground and you just got to streamline it as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always simple, simple, simple is better. And I think in general, triathletes overthink, um, about things, but again, they're, they're more triathletes are more beginners than I am. So I'm like, okay, I, maybe I was like that as well, but I just learned by doing, I learned by making mistakes. I learned by watching others. I learned what I didn't want to do. So I'd see other athletes to say, okay, I don't want to be that guy or girl. And so, I mean, that's kind of how I, was introduced to the sport just by watching and learning. If anything, I think I've seen, uh, even now, uh, too much nutrition or hydration on the bike itself. Mm-hmm. You know, two bottles off the back of the seat, maybe two in the two down tubes. Like, are you serious? You don't need in the, in the, in the, uh, the bottle, um, basket, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh, you don't need four bottles. You never mm-hmm. need four. You need one bottle at most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it depends on how long the race is, but Oh, the cages. Yeah, the bottle cages. Like, I, it's too much. Or they have a bento box full of other food. And it's like, I, then I, I have to look at the athlete and go, uh, okay, they're a beginner. Or they're here to complete the race. You know, there's people who are there to race the race, and you can really tell the difference. So if anything, I walk around. If I walk around, I'll, I'm looking at transitions like, what's different here? What makes this one stand out? One right. thing I did take away from uh, San, uh, which race was that? It was north of San Francisco, San Jose. I'm not sure. There was an Ironman that I went to a few years ago mm-hmm. to cover, and they uh, someone had some uh, a sticky. Uh, they laminated their own notes on the top tube of their bike, mm-hmm. and whether it was uh, eating or mile markers or something. And I like that concept, and I used that recently. Like, all right, these are good little things to to think about, or if you want to plan ahead, like I need it. whether you have it on your watch, beeping every 20 minutes to let you know to eat mm-hmm. or drink. Or at this mile marker, I need to eat. Or at this mile marker, there's a hill. I like that kind of thing where it's uh, – I saw it at the, the World Championship 70.3, in fact, once in Henderson, Vegas, where yeah. someone had some something sticking on their bike. 
thought that was smart. It's like, oh, I can use that. That's a good idea to little reminders to, to stay within yourself, focus yeah. on it. whether it's a, a phrase, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, race your race or maintain these watts as a reminder. Okay. I need to stay under this. I don't know what you could do on the bike, on the run. Maybe you could have something on your wrist, but, or, you know, permanent marker on your wrist. Here's my goal, you know, maintain heart rate at 150 or 50, whatever it may be. Just like something right. to visual. But, you know, you've done it long enough. You, you kind of like what works or maybe you, you know it so well that you don't have to have notes. Yeah. Uh, those are some of the questions uh, from this podcast. I wanted just to, I mentioned it last podcast that I was getting ready for uh, an Olympic distance triathlon. I did a half already this year. going to do a sprint. Decided not to do it because it was too close. It wasn't ready. wasn't interested. And then I had the Olympic. So, Wendy, I told you I was going to do a, my own race because I was going to swim casually, kind of hopefully get over my fear, which was something you were telling me about, and then uh, going to go hard on the bike, maybe get some good numbers for an FTP kind of maybe thing, and then just kind of casually do the run. So I told you, this is the first time I've ever done a, a sign-up for a race. Actually, oh, I still have my chip number. I have my chip, my, my race chip, and I got my bib, my shirt, and everything. Mm-hmm. The night before, next day, actually that night I was going, ah, I was making every excuse. I'm just not interested in uh-huh. feeling it. Kids were up late too. It was like a, I actually laid everything out in my office. I had all my stuff. The The truck was ready to go. I had my swim in there. My bike was already uh-huh. all charged up. And I was like, ah, just not, I don't really want to do this race. I don't know why, why I'm, I was just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Even did a little recon of the bike course to refresh me. There's come some a couple couple hills there. I don't want to do this race. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this race? And so, plus the kids were up late. It's like ten thirty, eleven o'clock. I'm still not a bed, and I need to get up around f- before four, or leave around four because we had to take a little boat ferry out to the the middle of the lake mm-hmm. early. I had to be there by six because everyone had to be on the boat by six and my wave didn't start till seven. It's like, Oh my God, I gotta get up early that early. Uh-huh. So I'm doing all math in my head. I'm barely going to get four hours of sleep. I need to get some fuel. Once I wake up, I need to get to the, it's a 45 minute drive to the race. So, you know, I got all of these things that are saying, don't go, don't go. You don't want to do it. And then at the, at the end of the night, I'm laying there going, I don't care. I, I don't want to get, I don't want to do this. And that's so it, it'll boil down to, uh, I, my why wasn't strong enough. And then I peacefully went to sleep. It was so good. It's like, Oh, let it off my shoulders. I had a burden of forcing myself to do something that I wasn't physically prepared to do. I mean, it's an Olympic. I can do it, but it's like, ah, I'm not interested. I don't want to do this. I'm not, I'm not trained. So my confidence wasn't there. I didn't feel like I could do well. And if I don't feel like I'm confident, not excited, what's the point? And so, and I, it, it, you know, yeah. the only thing you have to say is your why wasn't strong enough, so you didn't go. I didn't go. And that really, you know, uh, you don't have to talk about, you know, you can still race well with lack of sleep. You can still race well, even though you mentally feel like you're not trained to. You can still race well. And nothing else matters. If your why is not strong enough, that's a good enough reason not to do anything. I want to be happy when I race. I want uh-huh. to look forward to racing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told you beforehand, I'm going to use it as a three-hour training block to kick off Ironman Arizona training. Instead, I was happily, I happily did two hours on the bike that morning and happily did an hour run that day. It was so great. Mm-hmm. The next day, I basically repeated the same workout and was looking forward to my workout. And if you said this before, I enjoy training more than I enjoy the racing. Uh-huh. And in this case, I want to do Ironman Arizona. 
I didn't want to do necessarily right. this specific race. And I honestly, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't swam in maybe a month and I barely ran. I was riding a little bit, but nothing hard. It's like, ah, again, I had some excuses. I had some excuses like, ah, I don't want to do this. I didn't want to. And that's the only reason you need. You don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You don't even have to, you don't even have to, you know, like mention everything preceding that you just, you don't have to do it. And I think a lot of athletes will put pressure on themselves saying, well, I paid for it. Yeah. I got my bib number. I got my timing chip. I told people I were going to, I was going to do it. And none of that matters. If you want to do it, it's not a big deal. You just don't go. And if someone says, why didn't you race? You just tell them I just didn't feel like racing. And, and they're like, Oh, they'll probably be like, Oh, I don't care. Oh, wow. Really? Really? You didn't feel like racing? So you didn't go? Hmm, what a concept. <laughs> and then and then they'll forget about it. And it's like, I'm only accountable to myself as same as you who's listening. You're only accountable to yourself. You do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to, you know, hey, I'm doing it for a friend or I'm doing it for a cause. That's not a little bit different. But in the end, you're doing it because you want to do it for yourself. You don't want to do it. Don't do right. it. Don't do it. Yep. I love it. Good job. Good. And that's not, that, that could be really hard to do, though. Like, it I get was. that. Like, it it could be really hard not to do something that you feel like you've committed to. You've talked about it. That's really hard. But once you finally come to terms with yourself and, and the reason why you're not doing something, it's just like, again, like you said, a weight lifted off your shoulders big, and you slept weight. great. And this yeah, is, you got some good sleep. It was awesome. This is another thing that I always had a little weirdness about when somebody would wear their finisher shirt or the shirt they gave you in the, in the packet uh, mm-hmm. the day of or the day before they'd wear that shirt and the race hasn't happened yet. They haven't done the race. It's like, that's kind of, mm-hmm. uh, it's like taboo or bad karma. Don't wear the shirt of the race that you haven't done yet. Cause you haven't done it yet. You haven't earned the shirt in a way, but the next day, first time ever, because I didn't care. I wore the shirt <laughs> on my run. They, they, you know, the finisher shirt. Mm-hmm. I wore it. It was like, it was a weird thing. It's like, what do I care? It's a shirt. Right. I paid for the right. shirt. It's all, everything's always in your mind. It is. I paid for the shirt. I did the same amount of, of uh, training effort. You know, I, I worked out for three hours. Would have taken me the race less than three hours. I don't care. It's a shirt. It's a nice shirt too. Wear it. Yeah. Anyway. Why not? So that's my reason. Everything is in your mind and no totally. one else, again, no one else cares but yourself. And, and you are cares. the most important, you are the most important person. So whatever you think matters more than anything else. Nobody cares. That's the funny thing. Cares, and now, uh, now you'll forget about my story, and you'll go about and do your business. So, with that, Wendy, anything else? Uh, anything I miss about your last weekend that you wanted to highlight or just uh, bring up, or some kudos or shout-outs? Um, no, I can't think of anything. You know, I'm training, and I got some some events this weekend, running events, and we'll talk about it next week. Okay. And that's about it on my end. What are you training and working? Do you have, I'm sure in your head somewhere, you got a rough number of how many days until Kona? Seven weeks from today. Seven weeks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Seven weeks from today. Cause I race on a Thursday, October, ah. October 6th. The guys race on Saturday, October 8th. I race. So yeah, seven weeks. It's not six weeks. Yeah. It's seven weeks. I just talked about it today. Great. Yeah. I'm in the nineties, like 90, I don't know. It's like 95, maybe 94 uh-huh. days, something like that. Yeah. Awesome. 
Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm Plenty pumped of time. Making it count. And I was, you know, this is one thing for athletes out there listening. If you had to do an Ironman, I want to, I want to do this. I'm probably write this down a little bit later. It's like, if I have 90 days until and I have a, a full distance Ironman, how many bike workouts is that? How many swim workouts out? And how many run workouts is that? So I can kind of get a, uh, you know, an overhead view of like how important are these workouts? I've only got, let's say, 30 runs left. Let's make them count. I only have so many bikes left. Make them count. Don't skip some workouts because I only have so much time. The clock is ticking no matter how much I sleep in or how many days I don't feel good. I only have so many bikes I can do. Let's make them count. Uh, so when I when I look at my plan, which I'll be looking at my plan here pretty soon, uh, I'll figure out how many do I have left. So the big ones are obviously important, but I want to make make good use of my time and how many I have available. I think that's great. With I do it by week. I just say how many weeks I have left. I don't weeks. I don't count the workouts. For mm. me it's like, okay, I got seven weeks left. I got six weeks left. I got five, four, you know, I'm I'm a weekly person. So I get the same concept though. Same idea. Same concept, yep. Well, thanks everyone for listening uh, to uh, today's episode 369. Um, for Wendy Bader, I'm Dave Erickson. Have a great week of training, racing, or recovery. We'll see you back here next time. Have a great one. Adios. Adios. Mm-hmm.